Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, please visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Um, so as I'm getting started here, I'm going to introduce myself a little bit. Kelly Walters, uh, my wife Diana is over here, and she's the better looking one, so you can give her a hand. Um, yes. I always think it makes me look good that I married her, so it uh, makes me look good. Um, so uh, I um, have only been going here a couple years. Um, in fact, it was um, uh, just, I think, in August, two years ago. Uh, my wife and I have been looking for a church for eight months. Um, after ha- feeling like we need to leave another church that we've been at for 13 years. So it was a very hard process. And we came here in the second time. We just felt very, very clearly like God had called us to here. And uh, my daughter kept started going here about the same time. She kept calling me every other week or something said, Dad, what do you think of the message? What do you think of the worship? It was just amazing. That was awesome. And so I've been going here since. Um, but I'm not a pastor here. I'm not an elder. I am an older. Some of you may recognize that uh, for this church. Uh, but that's my, my qualification for, for speaking this morning is Matt asked me, um, I think because the thing we're going to talk about missional communities is something that I have, um, my wife and I have practiced for 35 years and we've had a passion and, and literally I think we've grown and grown and grown of what it looks like and we've grown in our passion of what it could look like. And so that's what we're going to be sharing with you um, this morning. This is the f- uh, fourth and final part of the uh, vision series, which has uh, depictions up there. I'm not sure what everything means. I'm, I'm a little concerned about the bottom right, the graves that, are, that it looks like are there. The graveyard, uh, I don't know if that, oh, it's people, okay. Um, that's probably missional communities I'm gonna be talking about. Um, so Ray, Ray Lowe uh, was here three weeks ago and he talked about the important role of the Holy Spirit working in us. Uh, Matt shared two weeks ago about the greater desire to see the gifts um, moving in the body. Um, through, through, through the whole body, and, uh, and also the idea that feels like, uh, the leadership feels like that God may want to have us kind of break out of the, out of the mold, take the church uh, in different forms, in different ways, and I think a lot of that will apply to what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, so we're going to talk about missional communities. Uh, oh, and I forgot Tracy, and Tracy uh, last week talked about uh, our call to the Great Commission to take the gospel to other nations and our interconnection with other churches that we have uh, some relationship with and what God's doing in there and the, um, the value of us having a heart for missions and, and sending others and, and going ourselves and supporting um, the work of God all around the world because we're part of a big story and the story reaches throughout time and the story reaches throughout um, all peoples in all nations and, and so we're par- part of a, a very exciting thing. Um, so uh, before we um, talk about missional communities, um, want you to look at a scripture that's going to be the main thing we're going to um, kind of pull uh, the ideas out of, and it's Acts 2.42. I was almost going to ask someone to, or ask you to guess what the scripture would be, and probably many of you know your Bible say Acts 2.42. It's such a beautiful description of what missional communities should be, but I just want you to put your finger there, um, or your thumb, and we're not going to look at it right this moment, but you can prepare yourself or get your app and and, uh, find that. So, 
um, we're going to start about a, um, with a definition. And so if we can put this up here. Oh, we're not going to go there yet. Nice try. Um, <laughs> even though I know it says that, we're going to come to that later. But if you go up to the definition, it should be the first slide. Um, this is a definition of formational communities. There we go. Um, it's a small group of people that meet together regularly for the purpose of living as a family to carry out the mission of God as they grow as disciples of Christ. And the first time I saw this definition, because of the fat passion that we had for missional communities or small groups or home groups or whatever you want to call them, I was so excited because it had all the key elements of what my wife and I believed and what I saw in Scripture. So that's a definition. Now we're going to hopefully see a picture of a missional community. There is a picture of a missional community. Probably the best looking missional community we have here. What do you think? Few people, few people that are from the group. Um, so, so this it was taken um, a week and a half ago. And, uh, and there, uh, there's my wife, Diana, and there's, there's me with the, without the hair. And, uh, and Adrian and, and Rodlin and, and our, our missional community. There's probably about seven or eight people that are not in the picture that have been a part of it. Uh, as it normally um, works out, sometimes you have everybody and sometimes you have two. But either way, where two or three are gathered, God's there in their midst. And so it can be a beautiful thing. Sometimes the best meetings are just a couple. Um, but that's our missional community. So now you have a definition and you have an actually example, a picture of a missional community. Um, so you, you pretty much know what a missional community is. So thank you. Oh, actually, um, here's the problem. And I'm going to suggest um, this is a problem. How many of you know that sometimes you know something a little bit to think that you really know it a lot? Have you ever experienced that? And especially if your tradition, like the tradition of church life, has involved in uh, maybe some small group experience. And so you think, oh, yeah, we have that too. Most churches now have some sort of a small group experience. Um, but uh, this is a, there's a problem. You can, be, uh, you can know the definition of a missional community. You can uh, have an example or a snapshot. You can even be leading a missional community and not really have a clear, compelling vision of what God intends a missional community to be. So I want to challenge everyone, leaders, pastors, and people who just were here for the first time, to, to rethink, to open up your heart about what is God's plan for using small groups. And I'm going to challenge that it may be far greater than you ever believed. So, so my goal is not to um, just remind you that we have these small groups called missional communities that meet in homes during the week, and that you should join one and we'll sign up. We do have a place to sign up after today. But that won't really commit you to, to the concept. This is not an infomercial to tell you about the cool program the church offers. Uh, this is not, it's not calling a few people to get involved. This is a challenge to the whole church, from the visitor who just came in um, the first time, to the missional community leaders themselves to catch a glimpse of God's heart and strategy for bringing the kingdom of God to the earth. This is not show and tell of what we have right now. This is a vision of what we want to have. And so if it's a vision that we don't, maybe we haven't seen, that's a spiritual thing. It has to be done in our hearts. 
My wife and I led groups for probably 15 years, and then a friend of ours shared a vision of, of, of I guess, the, the purpose and the depth and the meaning of missional communities and how they fit in the, in the grand scheme of God's kingdom, and it radically changed us over time, and we've been pursuing that vision ever since. And that's what I want to, I'm praying that God will do something in you and in me this morning to transform our vision of what church is. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this gathering that we experience community, that we experience worship, we, we get to hear your word, but we pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears. You said whom the Spirit, um, or to him who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. So I pray you would open our ears to what you would want to say, and that it would touch us in a way that it would change our lifestyle. Amen. You ready? So I really want to get your, you to get your spiritual ears on. We actually had some Spock ears at home that uh, we wore for Halloween one time. Um, uh, but there's a spiritual ear that we need to get to hear what God's spirit says. And that's what I hope to see or hope for us to get a, a glimpse of this morning. Um, first, we need to deconstruct the model that we have um, uh, about missional communities. It's like when people say that they know what marriage is, it's just a piece of paper. Who's heard that? That, um, that is simply not God's vision for marriage. It's a totally different thing. It's possible that many of us have participated in or even led a missional community without truly experiencing the miraculous work of God that they can be or understanding the profound role they have in the kingdom of God. So if we were to ask the apostles, we bring Peter, John, James, a few of them. We bring them up, and we, we ask them, hey, do, do you guys have missional communities, or did you have missional communities? They probably won't know what we're talking about. Until we try to describe the vision I'm trying to describe this morning about missional communities. And as we describe it, they would probably look at us and say, oh, you mean the church? Because missional communities were in many respects, the church. Who has your finger on uh, Acts 2.42? Okay, okay. now you can take a look at that. Now we can put the slide up. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That was a missional community. A missional community was not just a social club so they could get to know each other better. A missional community was not just another religious obligation. A missional community was not a spiritual accessory to the standard equipment of Christian life. It was the Christian life. It was the Christian life. If we're Christians and we want to live the Christian life, we have to be in some missional communities. <laughs> okay, Matt's giving me closer. I'm afraid I'm passionate, so it may be too close. Um, we need to be in. Now, that missional community can be two or three. It could be at your workplace. It could be at the coffee shop. But we need to be connected for each other. We are born, we are created for connection. Our MC um, is just a um, year old, 
has been the most amazing group experienced in 35 years of leading groups. Yet, I believe Diane and I, we would say that we were only scratching the surface of what it could be. So if you're in a missional community and you say, yeah, it hasn't been that great, then pray and, and, and participate and live for it and believe for it to be more. If you're leading, say, well, I don't know really how to do this. Then ask people who've done it before, ask for help, and keep praying and, and believing and loving for it to be more. Because we, we have this um, vision that God has given us that we need to live into. The first missional communities are, or were, um, or the first concept, sorry, I'm misreading my notes. The first, first concept for us to know is that missional communities are church. Other than a few references in the temple courts, the church met in homes. Here we have a list of things. I'm not going to try to read all of these, um, but in uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 19, it mentions Aquila and Priscilla, um, and, uh, they, uh, and they greet you, and so does the church that meets at their house. Whoa, they must have had a big house. I don't think so. They had a church in their house. Romans 16.5, the church in the house of Aquila and Priscilla, I mentioned again. Verse 10, the household of Aristobulus and the household of Narcissus, or uh, Narcissus, something like that. Um, in uh, Colossians 4.15, give my greetings to Nympha and the church in her house. 1 Timothy 2.2, it talks about overseers. They must be hospitable. Why is that an important qualification for an overseer or an elder? I'm going to suggest it's because so much of the church life was in their house. Amen? Hospitality was an intricate part of living the Christian life. That's why it was a qualification. It was several hundred years before the first church building was built. How in the world did they do church? They didn't even have a Seventh-day Adventist church to share. For a couple centuries, the central gathering place was the church to be experienced. It was likely in homes. So nearly every reference in the New Testament to how the church is supposed to function, we need to think in terms of the likely context of a home or small gathering. When we read the call to take care of the poor or widows or orphans or to love one another or to exercise the gifts of the Spirit, we need to think of little communities that gathered regularly to share life, to learn how to follow the way of Jesus and reach their family, friends, and neighbors with the good news. Perhaps we need to look to experience church on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights, or Monday mornings, and then come to worship together here on Sunday mornings. I think we need a radical revision of how we interpret Scripture. I think we often try to pour the new wine of the gospel experience into the wrong wineskin. For many people, the and, and this is the sad thing, it's a tr the result is a tragic bait-and-switch experience. For the gospel promises family for the widows, orphans, and lonely. And we substitute a five-minute greeting time. And it's not, the, not the, 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 the fault of the five-minute greeting time. It's that we're trying to squeeze God's kingdom into 
sometimes into the wrong place. The gospel teaches a community where there's no rich or poor, slave or free, Gentile, Greek, male or female, but all are one in Christ. But in the modern Western church, we experience black churches, white churches, rich churches, poor churches, millennial churches, baby boomer churches, hip churches with fog machines, and traditional churches with organs and pews. And the reason that we have these separate churches, it wasn't intentional, but it's a natural thing that we tend to bond with people that we're alike. And this just reinforces the differences. We have an app, even have apps that join us together with people of common interest, news feeds with similar political slants, and music streams that keep us isolated from the music of others. The early church, though, had a radical app on their iPhones that we have lost. It was called Face to FaceTime. And it happened in homes. We need to get that app. It's crazy. You don't have as many people on the app. You don't have as many likes. You don't have as many friends. But you have people that are family. And you find out real needs. And you share your real needs. We are way too shallow. We have hundreds of friends, so to speak. But nobody knows us. When it's time, this church is going to stand up and love, but the problem is we know we're supposed to love, but there's too many people to love. So find out from God what, who, and when, where, and then go deep. That's the call of God. That's what he did. I'm off script. So this face-to-face -face time brought people together in homes to spend time living life together up close and personal. They confessed to one another. They supported each other financially. They studied God's word together, worshiped together, ate together, prayed together, and discovered that the differences were overshadowed by common humanity, mutual struggle, and love. So they called themselves brother and sister. They greeted each other with a holy kiss. Our group still hasn't got to that point. And we stood out with, they stood out as such an unusual people that observers looked on in awe and could not even define this revolutionary movement, could only call them the way. I want to join the way. Anybody with me? Let's join the way. Now, more significant than the gathering was the mission. Next slide, I think. Missional communities lived the Great Commission. Now, when you see this, and Tracy preached on this, so often we think of out there, but Tracy made the point that often that's in here. But he said to the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. What do you think they thought when they heard make disciples? I think they thought, oh, you mean like you did with us? Because you selected a few of us to be your disciples. There was a broad proclamation, a demonstration of the kingdom, but a few disciples were called. You mean you want us to do that? To call a few? To deep, life-on-life -life discipleship? Oh, I get it. They understood what it meant because they had experienced it. So how did they start this? Obviously, day of Pentecost, there were thousands that came in the kingdom, but I believe they probably honed in, the, the apostles honed in on a few people to, to give deep life to. So they, 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 um, 
they prayed, who can I invite to follow this new way? Just as Jesus had invited them. And so in the same way, they invited others. Now, we're going to come back to our group picture. Um, Diane and I um, planned a year ago, a little over a year ago, on starting a group. And we have done groups for so long, we know we, God will fill the group with some people. Because we're pretty good at inviting everybody. And somebody comes. And so we knew that could happen. But we, wanted, we were learning a lot recently about trying to do things only in God's way. Trying to have him build the group. So we started praying. And, and one, one day we decided, okay, it's time. We think maybe in a couple weeks we're going to start the group. So we're going to go on a prayer walk. And we went on this walk we haven't been on in a long time. It's about three miles, maybe three and a half miles. And it um, ends up um, behind Holmberg Park, behind, uh, kind of above Whitworth College. Anybody familiar with this trail system up there? And so we, we walked in there, and, and if, you, if you go here, there's a trail that goes up into the woods and way up into the corner up there. Next picture. So we started praying for the group that God would give us. And we were right in here on this part of the trail, and we saw this, uh, this girl up in front of us. And we were kind of afraid that we were going to scare her because it was way up in the woods. And this noisy, ugly, or, or I'll speak for myself, but noisy, scary people are headed towards her. And we're afraid we're going to scare her. And so we, we mentioned something to her. We said, hey, you know, hey, um, hi, how are you? And uh, she turned around and, and we said, are you a student or something like that? And she turned around and she said, hey, do you go to River's Edge? As if everybody goes to River's Edge. <laughs> yeah, I saw you this morning. And her name was Amanda. And she said, we said, oh, yeah, are you a student? And we started talking to her, and she said, you know, I really feel God's calling me to get more involved this year. I really want to be in a missional community this year. Now, we're not that spiritually sensitive, but we thought, ah, God may be speaking. We said, seriously, we were just praying about that. And so we invited her to our missional community, got her number. And we went down the trail, back towards that original spot, and we were headed down there. And so now we're coming down the trail, and we're rejoicing, and now we're on fire. God, yes, start the group. And by the way, out of that group from Amanda, she brought her whole household, right? She brought a whole bunch of people and a boyfriend and, and so forth. So suddenly it turned out that we had a bunch of people on our list. And then right down here, we were um, coming right down here, and there were some girls we had to stop because some people were going to run over us with bikes. And there's a, there some people, they rode by us, and we said, hi, how are you doing? Good evening. And as they rode by, there's a girl named Morgan. How many know Morgan, who led worship last year? And, and Morgan, we said, hi, and she went by us, and she stopped her bike, turned out and said, hey, do you go to River's Edge? <laughs> yeah, we do. Actually, do you know Amanda? Yeah, we're starting a group. Really, I want to be involved. Okay, this is the closest thing I've experienced to how, how Jesus started groups. He prayed, you know, and then he went on a trail, and he saw somebody, and he felt God say, hey, invite them. I mean, it's so wonderful when God does a work and puts a group together. And so Morgan came, and some other people that Morgan knew came. And not all those people are in this picture right now, but there's, there's a couple. There's Brisa that, that uh, lives with Cameron, and there's some other people. And so God started to build something um, that was... Um, that was powerful. And so the, um, so out, I'm just going to point out some things about this. And so this work, what we wanted is God to do a work in the spirit, not to do a work where we just have a campaign 
And we, we have some, I don't know, I juggle, I can juggle, you know, hey, come to the group with the leader that juggles or something. We wanted to have God bring people together. And I could go through every one of these and tell you stories because we've become family and my laser, oh, there it is. Um, but, uh, but just some, some other connections. So she was from that walk, she was from that walk. Ben and Stephanie were the only people who were gonna come. They had already met, started meeting us for um, kind of premarital counseling and, and so forth. Um, Taylor worked with Diana and uh, he went, came to a place in his life just right before our group started where his life was at the very, very, very bottom. And without going into de details about that, he was so broken and all he knew is he wanted to find something that gave him a moral compass. He was not a believer by any stretch of the imagination. And so he asked one of Diana's workmates, hey, um, I'm, I just feel like I need to go to church or something. Do you? And she literally said, no, don't go to my church. But Diana has a church that maybe you could go to that has younger people. And so he came to church here, and then we invited him to a group, and he came, and believe it or not, he, he, he found something that was attracting, attractive, even though he didn't really believe it, believe in any of it. So he started coming, and then Aaron, he started dating Aaron, and Aaron started coming. And this is Adrian, who I knew from, um, from a long time ago, because I was his, his uh, track coach, and some of you know Adrian's story, and God had done an incredible work, and I'd been meeting him in prison, and and he wasn't even out of prison, but he was in our group. And I, and I talked to him when I'd go out to meet him at Airway Heights. I'd say, hey, our group started. It's been amazing. And he'd pray for the group. And then he, when he got out, he started dating Rodlin right here. And, and Rodlin um, was, is, was connected to him. And she came, and she wasn't a Christian. And she didn't know what this whole thing was about. But there's something in the meetings that she experienced that was beautiful made her weep, made her want to come back, and she's here right now, and she's been here all the time. And I could go through, and here's, here's um, Andy, who's, um, who's one of my former athletes too, is a teammate of Adrian, and it goes on and on and on. But God built something that was supernatural. See, the gospel is not just a metaphysical construct to be accepted. The gospel is meant to be a life-changing experience. And the Apostle John says, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we are, our hands have handled, this we proclaim. So people can hear the gospel on Sunday morning, but they need to see it, taste it, handle it on Wednesday night and the rest of the week. Amen? How many have tasted it at some point in their life with a small group of people? They've seen people, they've felt people to love, they've, they've had people to hug. We are a disconnected, lonely, desperate culture. And it, if, the, if the church responds with real Christianity, the world is going to rush in. But if we just proclaim it, there's so much skepticism, it's not going to mean much. This is the power, I believe, of, of uh, evangelism. Next, the missional community is a place where we can experience the wonder of family. This group right here, we have had meals together, many, many meals, wonderful meals. Way too many sweets for our good. We have worshiped together, played games with each other, hiked together, teased each other, laughed together, swam together, watched each other musical performances, celebrated baptisms, birthdays, prayed for healing, prayed for de about depression, job changes, relationship problems. We have argued with each other, offended each other, apologized to each other, confessed our sins, shared testimonies and miraculous works of God in our lives. This is the church. In addition to this, 
church. Amen? We need to open our eyes of what church is. I love how Jesus said where two or three are gathered. There I am. I just realized. If there's two, then Jesus is there, so there's automatically three. That's a group. Right? So it's just me and my friend meeting for coffee. Right? That's just a pair. No, it's a group. Three, because Jesus is there too. Next. Um, a missional community is, should be a place where we could disciple each other. This is Colleen. Can't find my, oh, I'm pressing the wrong button. That's why. There we go. Um, this is Colleen. And Colleen was in a previous version of a group. And, uh, and she got close to us. And at some point, um, in fact, I'm just realizing, um, was she with Richard and Hannah? Was she in the group? No. because See, I've, we've had so many versions. Anyway, this is about probably uh, literally six years ago. Colleen was in our group, single girl from Moody. And she, she had, um, her mother had been a drug addict and was in prison and, and was, uh, it was a very, very dysfunctional upbringing. And she'd come to Christ and somebody had discipled her, which was beautiful. But she knew she had no concept of what marriage was or what family was. And so she asked us if she could come and live with us. And God put it on our hearts that that was the, would be a beautiful thing. And so she spent a year living in her home, and she said, I want to learn how marriage works, how family works. So she became part of our family, and she was like the best kid we've ever had. Well, no, this, no offense, Anna, but <laughs> oh, my. But she knows Colleen. She was amazing. Um, and, um, and she, and this is Justin, who she started dating about the time that she got in, in our um, home and, and ended up getting married, and he's a missionary pilot in, in Tucson, and we went down, and, and they um, literally flew us around, and it was, it was awesome. But they've been through some trials the last year, but she knew from watching Diana and I go through trials that the way you go through trials when you're married is you lean into each other, and you hold each other, and you listen to each other, and you figure out how can I support each other. She was discipled in terms of marriage and in terms of family by living with us. We have a world full of people who've grown up in, in dysfunctional homes who haven't seen marriage, marriage that's, that's effective or that's good, and they, we, we need to be there so that people can learn and to, so they can grow, so we can disciple them. The Great Commission calls us to teach the disciples to obey everything he has commanded us. Here's a question. How many Sunday sermons would it take for Matt to teach everything God has commanded? I think we don't have a lifetime long enough, even though Matt's a good teacher. And in addition to that, the goal of discipleship is not to be hearers, but to be doers. So how much longer does it take for Matt to make sure that we do everything that God commanded? Matt's got a big job. How many agree he can't do it? No, he can't. In fact, none of us can do it. Diana and I have learned we can't take responsibility for anybody to make sure that they follow God. But here's the beautiful thing. When we regularly join together in small teams, we can do this. We can lead. And it's such a beautiful thing. Diana and I, um, the, the other day, uh, we, we had somebody in our group that we, that we worry about sometimes, and then uh, uh, somebody else in our group went and did this thing with them and just kind of shared life with them, and it was like, yes. <laughs> we were so happy 
because it wasn't on us. We need a team to love each other. And sometimes if we have nothing to give, somebody else does have something to give. Sometimes we can't relate. I can't speak Norlands to Adrian. I don't, I, I can't give him musical suggestions, okay? But others can. Let's put up the next verse. Um, and, and this is, um, we're getting close. Um, this is a really powerful verse. Um, and I think it's about, about small groups more than anything else. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. And let us consider, I love that, let us consider, let's think. That's what we're doing this morning. Let's do it right now. Let's consider how we may spur one another on towards love or good deeds. Every time you meet with the small group or missional community or somebody, a friend for coffee, that should be the mission. Let's consider how we may spur one another on to, good, good, um, to love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more. I think it's interesting in the first century, and this was written in AD 64, with all the miracles and the apostles and the growing church and everything, that some people were in the habit of not meeting together. I think it's because we quickly forget why. Anybody relate to that? I have, or maybe there's just, I'm busy, and sometimes we don't have a choice because of work or whatever, but we can't, and then I come back to church like, whoa, I forgot what I was missing. So why do we need to meet, or, or I wanted to make, make um, this point too. Um, the scripture here to me does not call us to feel guilty about not meeting together. It reminds us of why we need to meet. I don't eat every day because I'm guilty. I eat every day because I need to eat, because I'm hungry. Sometimes I don't even realize I'm hungry, and my wife says, you need to eat. You're getting cranky. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that? So, so this verse, to me, was, is not about feeling guilty. This is calling us to our need. We forget that we need to stir each other up to love and good works. I found I need to go to church whenever I can, not under the law. I need to go to group whenever I can, not under the law, not under obligation, not to impress Matt by how many times I've, I've go to group. Because I need others to stir me up. Our group takes um, one week off for leadership meetings, but other than that, we meet. We meet through the summer, we try to meet, and we meet outside a group. And it's not always all of us meeting all the time. It's different people, but we meet, we connect. Um, and we, we meet all this time because we have to, and because we need to. We have to for our own spiritual survival. The other problem, the reason we don't meet often, I think, is because we live in a, in a culture that idolizes radical individualism. We have falsely learned that what we really need is one solitary, rugged individual who is willing to stand up against all odds and save the town, planet, or the universe. Our heroes are Clint Eastwood, Indiana Jones, Han Solo, Iron Man, but my personal favorite, Underdog. Anybody from my era know Underdog? But if we were gonna defeat Thanos, all of the Avengers need to join together, amen? That's you, in case you're wondering. Gone are the days of the lonely prophet taking on the prophets of Baal. 
Instead, we have the church body with each part dependent on the others. Like this. That's what we have left. This assortment of weak, broken, rejected, but redeemed and restored parts when joined together becomes the body of Christ that is able to storm the gates of hell and do greater works than Jesus. That's the hope that I bought into. That's what I experienced that led me to become a Christian. That's what I tasted, that's what I handled. That's the vision I'm chasing. And the third thing is we forget that others need us. How many times have others missed out because I didn't participate? They need us, and we don't know when they need us. Sometimes they just need a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes they need an encouraging word. Sometimes they need a prayer. Believe it or not, they need me. They need you. I'm going to go back to this. Um, I'm going to give you an example of, um, of this need. This is, um, so I'm going to talk about Adrian and, uh, and the, um, the amazing thing that happened this year with, uh, with Taylor. So Taylor comes into the group, and I told you his life was a mess, and, and he was so wonderful because he would share, when we'd do scripture study, he'd just say things like flat out like, hey, I don't like this. I'm not buying this. And a group is so good of just saying, so what, what don't you like? And some people say, yeah, I don't know if I like it either. <laughs> and others would explain, well, you know, really, if you, it's, it's really about this. The theologians among us would try to explain it. Sorry, I've got to keep the mic there. Um, so, um, so one day he said, he said, hey, you guys, listen, this is really hard for me I, I, to believe or to buy into. And I know you, it's probably easy for you because you grew up in the church and, and you, don't, you haven't been through some of the hardships I've been through and, and how life has been so, so horrible and everything. So you, you really don't understand. But I can't do this. I can't believe this. And, and then Adrian, who had recently got out of prison, Adrian said, uh, hey, man, he said, you know, you say that, and I get it because you just see the outside. You see us where we're at now. What you don't understand is where we have been. You don't understand that many of us, most of this group didn't get, get raised in a squeaky clean uh, uh, nuclear family that went to church and grew up on it. Many of these people have come to Christ recently. He said, that's, that's who we are. And it was a, an incredible moment. Incredible moment for Taylor, because then he, he said, well, that means maybe you guys aren't so different from me. Maybe we're all on a journey, and you're like me. It's a huge moment. Finally, a missional community should be a place where God's people live in mission. The experience of a missional community should inspire us for mission, train us to do mission, and launch us into the mission outside of ourselves. If we look at this group, um, just came to Christ, just came to Christ. Um, just came to a group for the first time, church for the first time, but had come to Christ a few years ago. Just in the last year and a half, came to Christ. Just came to Christ. This is, um, this is a group, and it's not showing everybody, this is a group that's on mission with each other. And the last thing I'm going to... Um, going to talk about 
Next slide. Is, is the strategy, the Jesus strategy. These are another couple that were part of an earlier version of a group that Diana and I were a part of. Jeremy and Janelle. And they felt God called them um, on, the, on a mission field to go to uh, Tanzania. And so they're they in a little village. They have been there for maybe six years called Chumo. So they're, and most of these people are uh, animist or Muslim. And so they're in this group uh, or in this uh, village. And so their job is to proclaim the gospel, to reach the village and then see those, that village reach other villages so forth. So for several years, they were doing everything they could to learn the language and to try to reach the village. And they weren't making much progress. And then they changed their strategy. They started to do the Jesus strategy, to find a few people, disciple a few people, go deep with a few people, find people who wanted to learn, wanted to grow. And since in the last couple years, they have put all of their efforts, almost all of their efforts into discipling a few, like three. And then seeing those people, having those people be sent out, those indigenous believers sent out to villages and so forth. And within the last couple of years, from the latest surveys, from what, what I remember, is that there's like 400 believers in that area. And they're on their fourth generation. People that they've discipled, who've discipled, who've discipled. That's the, the power of the multiplication principle of the gospel. The Jesus method. We want to make it look good. If you, were, if you were either hired as a pastor or sent on a mission field and after three years you only had 12 people that were really seriously committed, the mission board or the church might pull funding. How many kind of relate to that? That's what Jesus did. Even the point of his ministry where everybody left except for the 12. And yet I just did a calculation in the middle of the night. I was doing math. Sorry. If I took, if I got 12 people for three years and I discipled them and then they went, each one of them found 12 for three years and so forth. At the end of 30 years, you would have discipled, made serious disciples of 60 billion people, which is a lot. <laughs> That's the mission. So let's turn off that. Um, my, my desire this morning is to cast a vision that's been in my heart. Like I said, Diane and I, we've seen amazing things in this group recently. But we have not, we have so much to learn. We have so much to grow. We've just scratched the surface. So my challenge is for you this morning. I just want to challenge you um, as we do communion and I'm gonna let Coulter come up and kind of lead us through communion. But I wanna challenge us, um, where, where does God want us to invest? Who does he want us to live life deeply with? What is God calling us to do? Let me pray and then we're gonna do communion. God, I thank you for this opportunity to share the vision you have for mission, for love, for family. And I just pray that you would show us your heart and help us to make choices to live 
out your mission. Amen.